You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Alumni Hall. And guys, they have a ton of national championship gear, back-to-back national championship gear, just sitting there on the shelves waiting for you guys to come pick it up. So make sure to check that out today, either online at alumnihall.com or in person inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and delaying her off-season vacation once again to join me today is my co-host Charlie doing star the podcast type things, filling in for Curtis here again on short notice. Curtis was moving this weekend, so got to give him a little, a little bit of a break there. He's moving, had some family in this weekend, so they're still in town. Didn't want to make him have to like put them on hold, so Charlie was kind enough to jump in here again on short notice. So Charlie, once again, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. And I, I, I hope you mean that. I don't know. Sometimes I can't tell with you. That's good. It's an ugly day outside. Might as well talk some football. Why not, right? There's nothing much going on this time of year. It's it's like, do you get uh, the seasonal affective disorder? Oh, absolutely. I think we have. We probably have. Like, is it more like just winter months or like no football for you? Winter. I think it's a combination of both. Like, it hits me. Like, I love college basketball, but it certainly hit me here. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I know this time of year, Charlie. It's it's not like it's not. Great outside. Well, Saturday was pretty nice, but I know your vacation hasn't officially started yet. I know we're going to give you a couple of weeks off here shortly, but even though you haven't had that time off yet, how is the football offseason treating you? You staying afloat? Yeah, pretty good. Um, Saturday was a nice day. Enjoyed some women's tennis. They beat Notre Dame 4-1. They lost the doubles point, which was surprising. And some of the lineups were interesting. But yeah, it hold was... that point. I think we're going to talk a little about Georgia tennis later. Okay. A little bit well, later. Just hold that point. Okay. But, it, but I know I saw you there, so I, I figured you would have a couple things to say. So I want to give you the floor a little bit later on. Because uh, we did. We did. You know, spoiler alert. We did qualify for the national indoor tournament. The guys are playing right now. We're not there. I'm not there. I don't want to speak for you, Charlie. I'm not there because the match got delayed uh, because of the weather here. And uh, to get this episode out, I wasn't able to go. So it kind of sucks. I'm keeping up with it right now. It looks like we're going to breeze to a win here against Louisville. But the women have already qualified. The men are about to qualify for the National Indoor Tournament. So we'll cover that a little bit more in detail later on in the episode if we have a little bit of time, Charlie. But this um, this is going to be a mailbag episode. We have not done one of these. No mailbag episode in a couple of weeks. We've been trying to cover a few different things. But there have been some newsworthy developments. I know you've all been paying very close attention to that because the questions continue to pour in, primarily about all those things coming out in the news here over the past week or so. So we figured, you know, probably time that we should get to some of those questions today. So Charlie, without any further delay, let's jump right in. I know you got a bunch of good ones for me today. Well, we just watched Todd Munkin put together what you have called the best offense in UGA history and route to a second consecutive national championship which, of course, makes him a hot candidate for other jobs. And last week it was reported that he was going to interview for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers vacant offensive coordinator job. So with that in mind, Scott has the first question, saying he saw Todd Munkin interviewed for the Bucks offensive coordinator position this week. What are the chances you think he's back in Athens next season? And why would he want to go back to the NFL when he can have such a cushy gig at Georgia? 
highest paid assistant coach in the country, Charlie. Would you like, what would it take? So obviously the, the money's not the factor here. He's probably gonna get, we would match or surpass, I think just about anything that he would get offered there. I don't think that's really the, the issue there. And he, you got to move out of Athens. I know Tampa's a nice place too. What would it take? Like what kind of offer would it take for you to move out of Athens to take that Buccaneers NFL job? I mean, I don't want to live in Tampa. Fear, no Tampa? Of, fear of hurricanes. Like I couldn't do it, and I'm not a beach person. Tampa's a nice part. Like I, mean, I like not many nice parts of Florida that I'm like super taken with. I think Tampa's pretty nice. Like I like the beach, and I like to be outside, but I'm not a beach person per se. Oh, I'm definitely not a beach person. And the guy is 61 years old. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't spend time at the beach, but he's not going to go out there sunbathing. I mean, look, he's a football coach. You're not going. He he won't be spending as much time at the beach. There's no recruiting in the NFL, so that's that's a high. Yeah, High it's, likelihood that he doesn't want to do that anymore. The I schedule is him. the schedule is certainly different. That that is fair, uh, but the job security is not as strong there. So it's, it's a very interesting question. He's sixty one. He doesn't need job security. That's a great point, Charlie. That's a really really good point. But this is an interesting question. We'll dive in here a little bit more, Charlie. I think that you're on the right track there. I think it's more of a lifestyle thing. It's not to say that coaching the NFL is an easy job. It's certainly not. And it's time intensive, labor intensive, all of those things. But there is more downtime for an NFL coach than there is for a college football offensive coordinator. There's just more downtime because you don't have, like you said, Charlie, you don't have to focus on recruiting. That's just not even something you have to do. Sure, there's mini camps and that kind of thing. But I mean, with college football, you have spring practice, you have fall camp, you have the season. Recruiting literally never stops. It used to, it used to have more downtime this summer, but now with the advent of official visits during the summer, which some of those Big Ten schools are pushing for, so all the prospects didn't have to visit them when it was cold on their campuses. That has taken a large chunk of their summer away, and that's just the on-campus stuff. That's not even talking about having to call these guys daily, weekly, whatever, visit guys, hop on planes, fly across the country, you know, fly to Arizona to meet to meet with Dylan Rayola and his family, that kind of thing. It doesn't take into account any of that stuff. You're just not doing that when it comes to the NFL. And I think this is a problem that college football really, really, really desperately needs to address. They have to work on the calendar. They have to make it more palatable for coaches. And look, I know they're getting paid a ton of money, but you can go to the NFL, get paid a lot of money too, and not to deal with any of that kind of stuff, especially if you're a position coach. I am very fearful that they're making it unattractive for Coaches to stay at the college level for the best coaches to stay at the college level, and, I look, and there are some coaches that are just cut out for college. Like their their thing is not going to work in the NFL. Like we saw that with Nick Saban. Nick Saban is, uh, I mean, he he's a hard driving kind of guy. I don't think his style really fits as much in NFL. I know he's kind of comes from the Belichick tree, and you've seen what what has happened with Belichick and the success that he's had. But I mean, there are certain guys. Like, I think Kirby's smart. I think he could do the NFL because Kirby's just. I think he'd be awesome. Whatever he does, I think he's a really intelligent guy, which I don't think it's enough credit for. Um, but I think he's more cut out for college too in his style. But the calendar, I think, is a big problem. I think that's one of the things that that has Todd Munkin at least considering a move to the NFL, or at least interviewing for positions. We don't know what's going through his mind, but when you're interviewing, you're like you're at least considering it. And there's also the fact that he's been there. He's coached not just, I mean, literally, not just in the NFL, but he's literally been in Tampa Bay. He was our offense coordinator previously and had some success there. Some of the players on the roster, he still knows, like Mike Evans. He coached him back in the day when Mike Evans was a young receiver in the league. And then you also have the chance to potentially work Tom Brady. And who knows what Tom Brady's going to do? Who knows, man? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just assuming Tom Brady's going to play until he's 60 at this point, until he like tells us otherwise, which, well, even if he tells us otherwise, I'm still not going to believe it because he did that last offseason. But the potential to work with Tom Brady, an all-time great, who's like dead set on winning uh, another championship, and you have some really nice pieces uh, in the receiver room to work with there. I think his son is in college in the Tampa area, if I if I remember correctly, something like that. So there's a number of reasons why Todd Munkin would be potentially interested in, in, in an NFL gig. And also, like maybe there's a chance he still holds out like ambition for a head coaching job. And he's 61 years old, as Charlie mentioned. At 61, like I'm not saying you can't get a college head coaching job. We've mentioned this a couple of times. I'm not saying you can't, but in some ways it does work against you because colleges are more, like, there's a longer shelf life at the college level. Now that shelf life is decreasing each and every year. It's hardest to be like those long time guys that, that stay for 20, 25 years. I don't know if you ever see a Joe Paterno type guy ever again, or Bobby Bowden. I don't know, maybe you will, but I think those guys are going to be more rare as time goes on. And they have been more rare. But I think programs are looking for longevity more. And, and, and you have more job security if you have success there, at least compared to the NFL. The NFL, they tend to turn out coaches a little bit faster. 
But I do think that his age is less of an issue trying to get a head coaching job in the NFL. I mean, Frank Reich just got the Panthers job, and I think he's also exactly 61. So if Munkin comes in there, I'm, I'm just trying, trying to get inside of his mind there. So if he still wants a head coaching job in the NFL, he wants one last shot. Let's say you go to Tampa Bay, you got Todd, you got Tom Brady, you got a nice group of receivers there. This is a team that's just a couple of years removed from a Super Bowl run. They have what they need. Maybe they just need you calling plays, right? And if you can be the difference there and you can win a Super Bowl, even if you don't win a Super Bowl, if you put together a, a, a great offense that puts up numbers all season long and they make some sort of run in the playoffs, now all of a sudden, not only are you a hot candidate to get an offensive coordinator job in the NFL like you are this year, maybe you're a hot candidate to get a head coaching job in the NFL, which is something he's never had. Maybe that's something that, that's on his wish list. I mean, I, I don't know, but it's certainly possible. And I think the NFL, I think there's more of a path to him getting a good job in the NFL than there is maybe at the college level at this point due to some of the, the age discrimination. I don't know if that's, that's the way to put it, but I do think age is, is more of a hindrance than you getting a really good head coaching job at the college level than it is at the NFL. Okay, well, Eric takes the potential Munkin development to the obvious next logical step and asks, what's your opinion on the offensive coordinator job if Munkin does leave? Yep, we got a couple of questions on this one, and I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in. I'm not even going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand and act like I don't know what people are getting at. And Eric, I know I know Eric, Eric and I had a conversation about this on, on Twitter over the weekend, so I know exactly who, who Eric's referring to, and he's not alone. There was a there was quite a, a robust debate on Twitter, I think maybe starting Friday night into Saturday over the potential of Mike Bobo stepping up and filling the shoes left behind by Todd Munkin if Munkin does indeed lead to take an NFL offensive coordinator job. So I'm just, I'm just going to go right there because I, I really know that's what the, what's at the core of this question. And here's my opinion on this. And look, I, I will address this more in detail with numbers and the whole nine yards if indeed this ends up happening. Right now, it's just pure speculation. We don't know, right? Like we just, we don't know if Munkin's going to leave. If Munkin does leave, we don't know if Bobo is a top candidate, if he's an automatic just kind of fill in or if it's going to be a, a wide open national search by Kirby Smart. We don't know anything. It's all speculation. But I do think it's reasonable to speculate that Mike Bobo would certainly be in the running considering he's here on staff as a quality control guy. He's had a, a, a long career as an offensive coordinator in the SEC around the country and had, you know, some people don't like to, to say he's had success. I think he has, especially at Georgia, he had a lot of success. So uh, again, if this, if this is a question that becomes reality, and we have and we have to actually talk about Mike Bobo being our new offense coordinator. I will dive full force, head first into this numbers, whole nine yards, back up all these things I'm about to say. But I can just tell you at the top of my head right now that I am a I have a lot more respect for Mike Bobo than some people in the Georgia fan base do. I remember him a lot more fondly than some people in the Georgia fan base too. And I'm not saying that I'm right there. I'm just saying that's that's me. That's my opinion. That's my take. I can just tell you I I know this on very good authority, guys, in the latter years of the Mark Rick tenure, and I love Mark Rick. I do not intend this to be a shot at Mark Rick. Please don't take it that way. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I think we all know that, I guess we can say like things were slipping a little bit. Like we, we all saw we were in denial for a little bit. For I know I was, you know, you know, maybe 2000, especially 2014, and then, you know, early parts of 2015. But, you know, when Bobo was there in the latter years of the Rick tenure, he was the force behind the scenes really holding things together. Um, he was, and guys, he's an absolute ace recruiter. I mean, he's the dude that went into Valdosta and took Mal- Malcolm Mitchell and Jay Rome from Kirby Smart. And we know how much respect we have for Kirby Smart as a recruiter. Kirby at Alabama, especially, got just about everybody he wanted to get. You know, there were guys he missed here and there, but when he zeroed in on a guy, he usually got those guys, right? Bobo was a big factor in why we ended up landing both Malcolm Mitchell and Jay Rome. Now, we didn't win national titles of those guys, and Malcolm Mitchell was a really good player for us. Jay was a really solid contributor as well. But those are guys Kirby wanted. So Bobo can recruit. He's a big-time recruiter. He's a grinder behind the scenes. He loves University of Georgia, and that should not be the number one qualification, but it does matter. I mean, you'd be crazy to sit here and think that Kirby being an alumnus and our head coach doesn't doesn't have some factor in his recruiting success at Georgia. It's certainly something that is a draw. It's not the primary draw, but it's it doesn't hurt, right? But Bobo was doing a lot behind the scenes, keeping things together, because uh, things were there, there were signs that things were kind of falling apart a little bit at the seams, um, and, and you know things were just slipping. I guess is the better way to say it. not falling apart, but slipping. And Bobo was a big unifying force in keeping the program on track 
while he was there before he left for the Colorado State job. There's a reason he left for the Colorado State job. I think he kind of saw some of the writing on the wall, and you know, Colorado State's not a great job necessarily, but he went until he saw the success that Jim McElwain had, and he parlayed that into the job at Florida, and he was hoping he could do he could do similar things there. Um, and he left. There's also no coincidence the program did kind of fall apart to Mark Rick when uh, when Bobo left. Now, I know you can say Jerry Pruitt had a lot to do with that, and that's certainly true. I mean, Pruitt was, um, he's the opposite of a unifying force. He was a very divisive force, right? But, you know, Todd Grantham, now he was not as extreme as as uh, Jerry Pruitt was. But, I mean, he was an abrasive personality, too, that didn't always, you know, get along with everybody in, in, the, um, in the football offices. And Bobo was a guy kind of behind the scenes helping mediate a lot of that stuff, keeping the a lot of that in house and and keeping keeping the peace and without him there there was that force was not there with Schottenheimer I mean God God that guy was just helpless I mean no it was a disaster with him but beyond all of that here's what I also know about Mike Bobo so Charlie is accurate and, so, and we talked about the uh, Todd Munkin potential for him leaving and Charlie said that I I've been saying for a while many times over and over again that. In the preseason, this was going to be the best Georgia offense in the history of Georgia football. And last week I told you, oh yeah, it turned out, at least from a statistical standpoint, to be the best offense in Georgia history. I've been telling you guys that for a while now. But who was the standard prior to that? It was Mike Bobo, guys. Like Whether or not you want to admit it, I'm not going to sit here and say that every offense that Mike Bobo produced at Georgia was an elite offense, because that's not true. I, I know that. But 2012... 2013, 2014, those offenses were elite. Guys, in 2012, we led the country in yards per play offensively. I don't know how many Georgia fans realize that. And that's a Mike Bobo offense, okay? 2014 with Hudson Mason. Hudson Mason. Hudson Mason as your quarterback, guys. We were top 10 nationally in scoring offense. And then in 2013, with a rash of injuries to all of our best players on offense. Remember that game against Vanderbilt where... We were trotting out Brendan Douglas and J.J. Green as our two options at running back that entire game. Yeah, that was 2013 because we had nobody running back. We had all those guys who go down, including Todd Gurley. And then what happens to our starting quarterback, Aaron Murray, the stud that Aaron Murray was late in the season against Kentucky? He goes down with an ACL tear. So there were a lot of injuries, guys. There were way more than just that. Those are just a couple big ones off the top of my head. But even with all those injuries to impact players, we still finished top 15, I think number 13 in yards per play that year. So this idea that Mike Bobo is incapable of producing elite offenses and elite production, I think that's just been proved factually inaccurate. Now, I do understand the argument is, well, well, what's he done lately, right? He was Colorado State and gets fired there. That wasn't a good look. That didn't work out well. Then he goes to South Carolina. And then that staff gets fired, and then he goes to Auburn, and then he leaves there after one year. He hasn't produced a good offense since, what, 2014, right? I guess you could say. But I, I think you look at all those cases and say there's some mitigating circumstances. So at Colorado State, took on a new role. Head coach, it's different. Now, he's still involved in play calling, in the game playing offensively, all of that, sure. But it's different, right? And he also dealt with, I know it wasn't right away, but... About midway through his tenure there at Colorado State, he had a significant health issue that cost him time on the field, cost him time at practice, and really, really, really hampered him in trying to get that program to the next level. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just telling you that's what happened, guys. Like that's just reality. If you dismiss that, then you're just not you're you're being dishonest and saying that wasn't like some sort of factor. You have an agenda and you're saying that's just not a case. And that's fine. Like if you don't like Mike Bobo, that's fine. Then it's South Carolina, yeah, bad look. But I mean, dear God, like who was going to be successful? Under those circumstances, I mean, who did they have at quarterback, guys? And by the way, it was in a COVID year, his first year there, and playing a new offensive system, his first year, no spring practice, limited fall camp, limited contact with your players all year long, don't even really know your players, and then your head coach gets fired about halfway through the year, now you're the interim head coach. That's not a, a situation conducive to success, guys. I don't think it's fair to judge him off of that year at South Carolina. You can if you want. Like if, you, if you think that's fair and you want to judge him off that, that's fine. I mean, it, it's a data point, but there, there's context to that. And if you look at Auburn, yeah, that was, not, that was a disaster. Didn't work out well. But again, there's context there. That was a bad marriage from the start. There were philosophical differences between him and Brian Harson. Brian Harson has an offensive background. He was meddling in the offense all year long. Why do you think Bobo wanted to leave? Why do you think he was desperate to get out of there? And he was fine getting said deuces. I'm out of here after one year because he was not able to run his full offense the way that he wanted to do with a free hand, the way that Todd Munkin has been allowed to do here at the University of Georgia. They also had significant talent issues there. Bo Nix 
was banged up at times. That year. I mean, he missed the back half of that season, right? Um, but he actually, I, I think Bo Nix, prior to going to, to Oregon this year, I think he had his best year as an Auburn quarterback. I know there was that game, who was at Georgia State, where he got benched and he earned the job back. But after that, after that start, when things went really bad for him, he kind of opened up the competition, he kind of stabilized. And, and had he had a pretty good year until he got hurt for the year. Had a, had a solid running back duo, uh, but Tank basically was, was banged up at times throughout the year. Their receiver core was maybe the worst, if not, I mean, certainly one of the worst, if not the worst, receiving group in the entire SEC last year. And then you have the meddling head coach. It just was not a good situation. There was a lot of tension there. And it's just not, no, like very few people are going to be successful in that situation. It was just tough. It was tough. There's a talent gap, issues within the locker room with the head coach, personality clashes, all those things. It's going to be really tough to be successful. So I think there's context there. So all I know, what I know is that Mike Bobo in the past at Georgia has had a lot of success. Okay. I'm not saying he was perfect. I'm certainly not saying that. I mean, I, I know run the damn ball, but I know all of that stuff, guys. But I think he really developed as a play caller as his time at Georgia as offense coordinator went on. I mean, he he runs a system that's very similar to Todd Munkin. In fact, I think there'll be a lot of a lot of things that are going to carry over from what Munkin did because I'm sure he learned some things from Todd Munkin. But I mean, it's, it's a spread pro attack, right? Run the football, establish a run, physical downhill attack, hit play action off that, which is exactly what Kirby wants is what we've done under Todd Munkin. It doesn't mean you're antiquated and old school and you're on I formation 75% of the time. We're not going to be doing that, guys. We're going to be doing a lot of the same stuff that, we, that we've been doing under Todd Munkin. Heck, Todd Munkin himself gave Bobo, directly gave Bobo credit. Did not, was like unsolicited, was not asked directly about Mike Bobo, but gave him credit for the first two touchdowns in the SEC championship game, okay? That's not me saying that. That's coming directly from the guy that he would replace if indeed that ends up happening that way. And look, again, I'm not going to go much further on this because I, who knows, this this might be all for naught. I might be wasting breath because it might not work out that way. Uh, I, I do think Mike Bobo would be a really good option for us. Um, I would be I would be fine with it. I know some people would not be. I'll also say though I'm not. I don't think that Bobo would necessarily be the best man for the job. I think that we should potentially aim higher than that and, and swing for the fences. We're the University of Georgia. This is a very, very, very attractive job. You're going to have access to the best town in the country year in and year out. You saw what Todd Munkin was able to do. You saw how we paid him for that production. So we're going to have a lot of people banging down the doors for this job. So I'm certainly. I would love. I I would hope that Kirby would do a national search and go and try to get the best and the brightest. And now if he honestly thinks that's Mike Bobo, I'm going to have to defer to Kirby because Kirby knows more than I do. He knows more than any of us do, okay? Because that's what this man does for a living. He just won back-to-back national championships. I think we can all kind of defer to him now and say, oh yeah, like we're going we're gonna to trust you, coach, until you give us a reason not to trust you. And right now, he didn't give us any reasons not to trust him. And if it is Mike Bobo, I, I would be 100% okay with that. I really would be. I know not everyone is, but I would be okay with it if it comes to that point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It was also reported last week that Stetson Bennett had turned down an invitation to participate in the Senior Bowl. Bradley's not so sure that was a wise decision, so he asked, what do you make of Stetson's decision Excuse me, to not accept the Senior Bowl invite? Yeah, that's not the decision I would have made if I was in Stetson Bennett's shoes, but I'm not Stetson. And look, we also don't have all the information. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, what he's got going on, what his plans are, what his health is right now. Like We don't fully know any of that. 
So you got to let the guy make his decision and support him. Doesn't mean you got to agree with it. Because again, I, I, if I was Stetson, if I was fully healthy, I, I think it would be beneficial for me to go to the senior bowl because all the quarterbacks that you're going to be in direct competition with in order to get drafted where you want to get drafted. Because look, we know Stetson's not going to be a first round draft pick, but the guys like Max Duggan and some of those guys that are going to be out there at the senior bowl who accepted their invites, those are the guys that Stetson's going to be competing with to get drafted in the third or fourth round, which I'm sure was what he's probably shooting for. So you want to go out there and, and compete with them directly and work out in front of these coaches, um, sit in the meeting rooms, uh, actually have meetings with these guys and, and interview with them, answer their questions, get some practice for that whole pre-draft process because this is where the pre-draft process would kind of start. So I I, I would go, I would have accepted the invitation, but I do also understand that there are risks inherent with practicing and playing at the senior bowl and it's not from like oh i might get hurt standpoint it's it's more so you're working with receivers that you don't know that you don't have a rapport with you don't know the little ins and outs of where they like the ball where they're going to break where they're going to cut the timing all of that it's not an offense that you know that you're familiar with so i i think what stetson's probably looking at again i don't know but if i'm speculating which is all we can do right now i think he he and his team are probably looking at it and saying this is not the set up most conducive for us to have the kind of success that, that Stetson wants to have to put his best foot forward. I think they're going to put a lot of stock at the pro day and they're also going to, at the NFL combine, he's going to try to run a really good time. If Stetson runs under four, six, like that's going to be really good for Stetson Bennett. And then at the pro day here in Athens, like you're going to be able to to throw with your guys. That's an environment that's, that's more tightly controlled and more conducive to you being able to set things up the way you want to set it up so you can have the maximum amount of success that, that you can have. I mean, that that's what pro days are for. And there's also probably the thought that, you know, he's put a lot of great stuff on tape and he maybe he thinks he only has things to lose and not really much to gain by going to the senior ball. There's certainly that line of thinking as well. So I understand the reasons why he might not want to go. I just, and I get it's a risk. There's, there is some risk inherent in going because things might not work out so well, right? But this guy who has just believed in himself so much over the years and has played with a ship on his shoulder and has had so much confidence in his abilities in the face of everyone doubting him over and over again. It's hard for me to imagine that he would not have the confidence to go ahead and jump in there and say, look, I'm going to get done no matter what the situation is. So it's kind of, I, I found it kind of strange. I really did, but I'm sure he has his reasons. I'm just not entirely sure what those reasons are. But I've got his back and um, I'm going to support him through the whole entire process and I hope he gets drafted as high as he possibly can. Okay, well, early last week, I think... Maybe Monday, news hit overnight that the new transfer wide receiver, Rara Thomas, had been arrested for felony false imprisonment and misdemeanor family violence charges. Um, naturally, Carson wants to know after his arrest in the felony charge last week, do you expect Rara Thomas to be dismissed from the team? And if so, how much does that hurt our outlook for next season? All right, Charlie, this is a, a, a actually pretty fortuitous that we have you here today because I would love to get a female's take on this. I'm not saying that like I, as a, as a guy, can't have an opinion on this, but I, I am very curious to get your take on. I, I don't know if you had a chance. I, th- I think you did. I think we talked about this a little I bit. I haven't read the report. So, okay. So, essentially, long story short, he and this girl that apparently she's like 17, but apparently they've been dating for a while. He's 20. It's that's weird. I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. In fact, it's like there's statutory rape stuff involved there too. But I guess you can't prove that. But anyway, whatever. Um, so they were having an argument in their dorm room. Obviously, cops get called by other people in the same dorm room because it's loud and obnoxious. Cops come to the door and they say they'd resolve the dispute, but they interview them each individually. And like he kind of, he kind of like. <laughs> Got hurt. Like apparently, according to the report, she wasn't going to say anything about what had been going on. But he tried to like pin stuff on her, and she heard that and got. It seems like she got pissed off and like told the cops, "Well, this is what happened." And she has some bruises on her arm, on her shins. Apparently, where he said, where she said that he had, like pushed her onto the bed. I guess her shins hit the bed frame. I'm guessing. Um, there also the report. He he alleged that she had like, kind of hit him a little bit, and he had taken her laptop and like, or she had taken his laptop and broken his laptop, like like flipped it back to where it's unusable. So, and the family violence charge, apparently he, or no, I'm sorry, the the felony false imprisonment was allegedly what they're trying to say is that like he told her she couldn't leave. Like they were trying to solve a dispute. Apparently he was over her following somebody on social media, literally Charlie, apparently, like allegedly, I don't know if that's hundred percent true, but like allegedly the argument stemmed from her following somebody on social media that he did not like her following and it led to all of this. So yeah, that in a nutshell. And, and so I don't, I mean, so he said, she said kind of thing. There are the bruises. 
I I don't know. What is what is your take on what should happen to Rara? Uh, I'm gonna let the authorities handle that one because that's a little too dramatic for my uh, ability to follow. Right, and, and I'm sure there's more details that will come out, but like in the initial police report that night from the cops that were on scene, that's what came out. And it's just, it's tough to know. I mean, this actually might be a good time to have Curtis on here because he is now the, the licensed practitioner of the law out there for, uh, representing the Glory UGA podcast. But I don't even, he doesn't like specialize in this kind of stuff. So, I mean, he I don't know if he even knows that. But I don't know. There's just, it's without having all the details, I hate to speculate because I am not an expert on this. Um, I, I do... I mean, I guess you always have to side with the victim there or, or the perceived victim, especially when like, there's a power imbalance there, like physically at least. Um, and she did have the physical bruises on her body. Apparently, he didn't really seem to have any uh, other than like the damage to his laptop, um, which I guess that's a he said, she said kind of thing. I don't know, Charlie. I don't know what to believe here. Um, what do you take of the fact that he has not been dismissed like out of hand immediately? So where did this happen? In the dorm rooms in ECV, East Campus Village. How has he been dating her for months when he just moved I don't here? Know. Apparently she moved with him. I don't know. It's really weird. Like okay. That part to me is the weirdest part. It's like, why are you dating a 17-year-old? And how are you dating a 17-year-old? Isn't she in high school somewhere? Like, I don't, can, well, I, don't like, know. You, I don't know. It's weird. Well, the university athletic department has a lot going on right now. I'm sure they're going to do their due diligence, and we will find out about it later on. I mean, that, that, that's about all we can say. Like, I, I will say, I do think... And this is just speculation, man. Like, I, I hate to even say this because I don't know, but the fact that he wasn't, like, summarily dismissed from the program, like, immediately upon the charges being filed tells me there's at least a chance that he is still going to be a part of this team. And, and we, I hate to say it, but we've had issues with guys being involved with, like, misdemeanor family violence. I mean, Devontae White a couple years ago kicked in his girlfriend's door, or at least another female, I don't know if it's girlfriend, but a female that he was associated with, um, kicked in her door. I like, kept kicking and kicking and like kicked it in off the hinges. And I, now he was he didn't have the felony charge. He didn't have the felony false imprisonment charge. But look, again, amateur lawyer here, not a lawyer, not a lawyer, but like what I know of it, and, like looking into a little bit, the felony false imprisonment charge, I think the, the cops, based on what they heard, I guess they technically kind of had to file it, but it doesn't... That doesn't seem like a charge that's going to stick. I think there's a really good chance that charge gets dropped. And if it's just, if it ends up being just a misdemeanor family violence charge, we've had guys on our team with Kirby Smart as the head coach who have stayed on the team, Devontae Wyatt, and gotten drafted in the first round a couple years later. Um, so I, I think if, if, I think you're right, Joe, we have to sit and watch and see what happens here. The felony charge is the one thing that I think could could really hurt him here. But if that ends up getting dropped, which there's a, there's a chance things like that happen and they just, and they stick with the misdemeanor family violence charge, who pleads guilty to that. Like, I don't know, some sort of deal. Then I think he'll still be on the team. It'll be, it'll be handled internally as Kirby likes to say. Now I will say with Mark Rick back in the day, he'd be gone, right? Yeah, probably. And that wasn't necessarily even just like a Mark Rick thing. That was also an institutional thing. Institutionally, we've become a little bit more open to doing some of the things that we have to do to compete consistently at the highest levels without like sacrificing too much integrity. So um, it's just a different age at, at UGA right now from an athletic well, standpoint. Well, but I also think that now with new leadership in the athletic department, they're more open to allowing these guys to stay even if they have done things that have gotten them into trouble, but they're also making them and requiring them to seek help from the and take necessary steps in order to stay on the team so yes you can stay on the team but these are the things you're going to do and we're going to make sure you're doing them 100 percent. i mean i know jonathan ledbetter for a fact i mean curtis is pretty tight with jonathan ledbetter back in the day i think they're still i don't know if they're close anymore but they still stay in contact but um like i know for i just know for a fact that like when he had his whole deal the you know the dui thing and kirby you know a lot of people were calling for him to be dismissed from the team and kirby allowed him to stay on the team and he had to earn his like he had to earn his keep, and Kirby really put some a lot of um, a lot of things behind the scenes that Ledbetter had to do, um, classes and and treatment and that kind of thing to to stay a part of the team. So it's not like he just says, oh, "Okay, let's forgive and forget," like no big deal. Like no, Kirby's about like raising the like he's helping these guys develop. There's a developmental part of this, and if you just summarily dismiss a guy from the team, like what does he learn? Like I guess he learns like, "Oh man, I screwed up. I really messed up there." But like this, let me clarify you, that you mean develop as people. Develop as human beings, yes. yes. Yeah, it's not, yes, you're right. It's not just as players. We want to develop them as players, but also develop them as human beings, as as men, to develop these boys into men. Um, and I, I think there's a chance. Again, there's some things that you can't come back from. Like, you do it, and, like, you're gone. Like, you just, like, it's just not, it, it's beyond, there's certain things that are beyond the pale. I, I don't know if this felony false imprisonment qualifies as beyond the pale based off what I read with the initial police report. It's not good. It's not a good look. I don't like it. I really don't like it. 
But it might be one of those things that could be a teachable moment and say, hey, hey, this is not how we do things. This is not how you conduct yourself. Let's learn. Let's grow from this. And let's, let's just improve as a human being. I, I hope that's the chance that Raw Raw gets. I don't know if if that's going to be the case, though. I really don't know. I don't know if even the coaches do. I think they're, they're allegedly, or at least according to the report, they're still digging and trying to find some things out. So we'll see. I, I, I will say I still think there's a chance. I, I don't think it's just a done deal that Raw Raw Thomas will not be on this team, which is kind of how I felt in knee-jerk reaction when I woke up on, I think it was Monday morning. I think you're right, Charlie. I woke up on Monday morning, and I, I always check, guys. It's the first thing I do in the morning. Check, like, see if anybody get in trouble. And usually it's nothing. Sometimes it is. And uh, this time it was, and it sucked. And I was like, man, he's probably gone. He's got to be gone, right? And then you think about it more, you read into it, you see the police report, and you're like, maybe it's not as cut and dry. So we'll just have to see. I think there's a chance he, he's back. And as for the second part of the question, what does it mean for, let, let's say he does get dismissed. I don't know. Again, I don't know. But let's say he does get dismissed. What does that mean for our outlook next season, especially offensively? I mean, it doesn't help. Like, we got this guy for a reason. We were excited about getting him from Mississippi State for a reason. He was their leading receiver, and he certainly kind of fills that that exposition role that, that A.D. Mitchell has left behind. We also have Marcus Rosemey Jackson, who played a lot for A.D. Dylan Bell can play in that role as well. Um, but he's a guy that certainly had the most production as a receiver on the roster from that position. And it, it, it's not, it absolutely would be a loss. Don't get me wrong. But is it one of those, like, death blows? No, of course not. I mean, guys, it's two years in a row that we've gone into the season without our, like, okay, we went into 2021 without number one wide receiver in George Pickens who got hurt in the, in the offseason. And then we go into 2022, A.D. Mitchell plays week one, gets hurt the first series of week two. He's out basically the rest of the season to the postseason. And what do we do both those seasons with without our top receiver for pretty much the entire year? Well, we went and won national championships. So to suggest that, he like not him not being on the team potentially is going to derail any hope that we have for a three peat. That's crazy. Like that's that's doesn't make any sense. Does it does it help the cause? No, it doesn't help the cause. But it like to just say, oh, now we're now we're done. Like, no, it's not a death blow. Because we have some dudes. Like we still have a Marcus Rosemary Jackson came back. I just mentioned that. He can play that role. And I think he I think he has some growing he can do. I think he can really improve. Lad McConkey is back. We know that. Uh hey, the other wide receiver, honestly, Dominic Lovett from Missouri that we got in the transfer portal, I was more excited about him than Ra Ra Thomas. And I know most people weren't because Ra Ra was the was the first one we landed. But Lovett was far more productive. Not far more productive. He was more productive than Ra Ra Thomas was. Now, I, I know the thing is he plays more, he's more of a slot guy. I think he can play outside, but he's more of a slot guy, which kind of fits with what Ladd does primarily. So I don't, it doesn't necessarily answer the A.D. Mitchell question, like who, who fills in for him. But in terms of like explosiveness and production, like he was more explosive, more productive than Ra Ra Thomas was last year. I mean, he just was. So and you look at some of the incoming guys that we have. I mean, if Arian Smith can stay healthy, I mean, we saw what he could do towards the end of the season. I'm really high on Tyler Williams coming in as a true freshman. And the Evans as well. Uh, we have we have some options. Dylan Bell's back. We have some guys that can play. And, and hey, don't forget, we have like the best tight end room in all of America. And that doesn't seem like it's gonna be changing anytime soon. So it doesn't help. But come on, guys, like we're fine. Like again, two years in a row, we lost our top receiver for most of the uh, most of the season, most of the regular season, and we still won national titles in each of those seasons. Okay. Well, with the advent of the early signing period, it doesn't hit the same way it once did, but the old traditional signing period is this Wednesday. And the big remaining target for the dogs is Deuce Robinson, the number one tight end in the country. Jerry wants to know what percentage of chance do you give us to land Deuce Robinson on Wednesday, February 1st? Well, first, let me put this out there. As I always say when we discuss recruiting questions, when we haven't talked recruiting in a little while, for some of our newer listeners, I am not a recruiting writer or reporter. I do not follow these guys and call them and talk to them. I follow recruiting extraordinarily closely and have for many, many years. But everything that I know about recruiting either comes from people I know around town here, uh, which, you know, I, I can get, you got to take that with a grain of salt because the people that I know, they're, they're getting one side of things. And sometimes the recruits don't always tell the truth and how they're feeling. That, that certainly happens. Um, but also, you know, just following recruiting writers. So, I have never talked to Deuce Robinson. I never will talk to Deuce Robinson, at least when it comes to recruiting. And, like, I don't know. It's just not going to happen, right? So, based off what I have heard, reading between the tea, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, all that kind of stuff, it is a two-horse race with Deuce Robinson. I know there's, you know, they mentioned like, you know, Bama, Oregon gets mentioned in there. There's four or five teams get mentioned. But it's really down to, from my understanding, Georgia and USC. He's from Arizona. He's more of a West Coast guy. That's closer to home, right? Makes a lot of sense. But then there's the fact that Georgia's won back-to-back national titles, and also the fact that we just produced a Mackey Award-winning tight end who's going to be a future first-round draft pick. We might get Darnell Washington draft in the first round, and we utilize tight ends in a way that USC simply does not. 
Kirby also coached his dad when Kirby was, I think, a GA at Florida State. So they have that built-in relationship there. And who knows what kind of a factor that is, but it certainly does not hurt. It gives you an in there. Kirby was in home last week, I think last Monday, to make his final pitch. And uh, he's supposed to be making his decision on Wednesday. Now, the word has come out, at least from one source that I read this this week, I think actually earlier today, that he might not make his decision on Wednesday, that he might push this off because he's just torn between Georgia and USC. At least that's the implication. So who knows? He might not sign on Wednesday, and that would not be unprecedented. He, technically, that's just the when signing period opens. He can sign the letter of intent whenever. Like It doesn't have to be on Wednesday. So he's got some time. There's also the factor that he's a big-time baseball player. I mean, he had a private workout with the Dodgers a couple of weeks ago. I mean, this guy, is a, he's going to get drafted. It's just a matter of where does he get drafted. And he's he said that if he gets drafted, you're reading an, an interview with him, if he gets drafted high enough, he'll sign a minor league deal with whatever team drafts him and try to work out in that deal for them to allow him to play college football. And if he doesn't get drafted high enough, then he's just going to play baseball and football at the college level. So he's going to, he's a two-sport guy. I mean, he, he's like, you know, people compare him to Aaron Judge. He's a, he's a big dude, 6'6", you know, that kind of thing. Um, but as a football player, the dude is a monster. Okay, the dude, the dude's elite, and we'll we'll break him down more if we do get him, get in that commitment. I think he would instantly be the second best tight end on the team. And I, look, I love Oscar Dub. Oscar is going to be awesome for us. This is not a shot at him. I just think that highly of Deuce Robinson, like this guy's different, man. Like the way he can move at that size, he's different. He's definitely different. I love the guys. I love Lawson Luckley and, uh, and, and Pierce Sperlin. Both those guys are fantastic players. They are awesome, but. Deuce Robinson is is accurately ranked as the number one tight end in the country. I mean, he's a five star dude. I mean, he he is he's legit. He's legit. Now the baseball stuff, I don't like the two the two sport thing because I don't like you dividing your time. So I don't love that. But I mean, if you can get a guy of this caliber and that kind of talent, you don't pass it up. So I would say in terms of like what's our percentage chance, it's at least 50-50, right between us and USC. Everything I've heard is that we have led for a while. Now, how big is that lead? I don't know. So let's say it's like 60-40 Georgia-USC at this point. And that a lot can change in two days. And again, he might not even sign on Wednesday. But right now, um, we are in a really good spot for him. We'll, we just got to see if we close the, close the deal with him. Okay, and more recruiting news. Georgia picked up its first running back commitment in the 2024 class from in-state four-star prospect Dwight Phillips Jr., Philip wants to know. Um, wait, wait, wait. So Philip wants to know about Dwight Phillips Jr. Yes, correct. Perfect, perfect. What does Dwight Phillips Jr. bring to the team? Speed, speed, and more speed. And did I mention speed? But no. In all seriousness, he is going to bring something to our offense that we do not currently have at the running back position. And don't get me wrong, this is not a criticism of the guys we currently have on roster in that running back room. We have some studs. Branson Robinson is going to be incredible. I love what Dejan Edwards brings to the table. Kendall Milton is a guy that really came on strong for us down the stretch and flashed some big-time potential for us at the end of the season. And Andrew Paul, a guy who was getting pretty rave reviews coming out of fall camp, but unfortunately tore his ACL in one of the scrimmages, he's going to be back next year. Now, coming back from an ACL as a running back in year one, are you going to be 100%? Are you going to be back to your normal self? Who knows? We'll see. Different guys heal at different rates. I am extremely high on Roger Robinson, the incoming guy we have in this 2023 class who's already on campus. I'm with the blind pig not too long ago. The guy is powerful and has good speed for a dude that's about 230. I mean, he looks like about 240 to me, but I guess he's listed like 230, but a big, strong, powerful dude that can move and is light on his feet, has really good footwork. All those running backs are awesome, and we are lucky to have each and every one of them. But I can also say with a straight face that none of them have I would say elite speed. Good speed. I think Branson probably has the best straight line speed of of that group of running backs, but I don't believe that I would categorize anyone in that running back room as explosive. Well, that will change the second that Dwight Phillips Jr. steps on campus. This guy, he's not a big dude. He's different. He's a different kind of back, and it's good to have variety. Um, he's a, like He looks like he's about 170, 175 pounds right now. But this dude has home run speed. He has difference maker type speed from the running back position. He's also more of a, of a receiver out of the backfield. And that's not to say, sometimes I feel like when you say, oh, he's a receiver out of the backfield, it means like you're saying, oh, he can't really run the ball, run the ball between the tackles. Like people said about James Cook for so many years. Then his final season here in Athens, James Cook was like, yeah, watch this. And did a fantastic job for us as our lead back. Really, I guess, you know, a, a one-two punch with Zemir White. But James Cook was... was was a dude for us and was able to run between the tackles with great effectiveness as well as catch the ball in the backfield. Dwight Phillips is not as big and thick as James Cook 
was, you know, his final year here in Athens. And I'm not sure he'll ever get there, but give him a college weight program. I mean, guys, he's a, he's a junior in high school right now. He's going to get bigger. He's going to get thicker, get a little bit stronger. And he's going to be a really, really good back for us to add some versatility to that room that we might not quite have, at least not have in that way right now. So very, very excited to add Dwight Phillips Jr. to this class. I mean, this is a dude that when I first saw his tape, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, yeah, like let's go get that guy. So when I saw that he committed, and it was an early commitment, but when I saw they committed, I was very, very excited. Now, you got to hold on to these guys when they commit this early. You got to make sure you hold on to them. But if we do, if we go the distance with him and get him on this roster here in Athens, he is going to be a difference maker for us. All right, let's take a minute to remind you guys of our sponsors who we're so thankful for because we're able to bring you all of this content. Of course, that is Alumni Hall. Please make sure you're always looking at their website, buying merch if you're in store over off of, what is that? Ebbs Bridge. And the Oconee Connector. Is that the only co- Yeah, right the before, Oconee right, Connector. Right yep. the Oconee Connector. Go in, get yourself some gear, get your loved ones some gear. Um, it's almost Valentine's Day. So oh. if you're a big Valentine's oh. Day person. Charlie, I know you're a big Valentine's Day kind yeah, of Yeah, and guys, you can, you know, leave some hints for your girlfriends, wives. Let them know what you want. Wait, 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 wait. So girlfriends, wives, significant others, get their... Boyfriends, husbands, like Georgia gear for Valentine's Day? I don't know. Maybe some do. That I don't. It's not happened in my life. Wow. We, okay. Well, I need to get on this. Yeah. I, I'm not a big Valentine's Day person, but I'm always at Alumni Hall looking for new gear. I'm telling you guys, again, I just ordered some more stuff because I couldn't make it over there last week like I, like I normally would in person. I had a lot of things going on, so I just ordered some stuff. Got to me within two days. Yeah, and today. It's, you don't have this two to three week waiting period for national championship gear like you have from some other places out there. It gets to you immediately. Yeah, and I have three family birthdays this month, so I need to go do some shopping for sure. Gotta get it done. And there's no better place for a Georgia Bulldog shop than Alumni Hall. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, so that's it for the questions, but we have some received some really positive feedback from listeners on the basketball episode you did last week, and people are asking for more coverage. So I thought we would do a quick recap of the last week on the hard court. You want to talk some basketball, Charlie? I mean, I'll do it for the people. You know the people want to, right? Yeah. I know I know you're a huge basketball fan. Yeah. Well big time. All right, let's get into it. Things got ugly on Wednesday night as the dogs lost in Knoxville by nearly 30. That was ugly. And to the number five team in the country. So what went wrong in Knoxville? Yeah, well, that reminded me of last season, Charlie. That's basically how I felt every game last year. So, you know, if it's this is the first time all year where I feel like we've just gotten... Really, it is the first time we've just gotten blown out. And uh, I can take it... I, yeah, I don't want it to ever happen, but if this is the first time it's happened and it's not like every single game in conference like we were last year... That's something, right? Like th- that's at least an improvement. Which was the point of my episode last when we were talking about the basketball team, like our little midseason report, is that we're not great, we're not a tournament team, but we are significantly improved. We are making progress, and and at this point, I will take it. After what I watched last year, after what I was subjected to, after what I subjected myself to watching that each and every game last season, I'll take it. I can handle one blowout against a top five team on the road. I can take that. And the thing, guys, is about Tennessee. Like, they're good. Like, I don't like Tennessee. I don't give them credit, but you got to be objective here. Tennessee's a really good basketball team. They struggle offensively at times and go into, into some lulls. But that might be the best defensive team in the country, along with Houston. Those are probably what I think are the two best defensive teams, at least I've watched all season. They are elite 
on that side of the ball. And that's why we only scored, oh, that's part of why we only scored 41 points, which there's never any excuse for that. No matter who you're playing, no matter where that game is played, you got to score more than 41 points. But they put a lot of pressure on the ball. They communicate really well. They don't really make mistakes. They move their feet really, really well. And they don't foul. They do a really good job of defending aggressively without fouling. And that's tough to do because you don't put teams on the free throw line when you do that. And it's tough for them to get those point totals up high enough to where they're going to win basketball games. That's partly what happened to us against Tennessee on the road. But it, it was more than just that. Yeah, yeah, they're really good defensively. We were also a train wreck offensively that game. Like We were just completely out of sorts. And yes, again, a lot of that does have to do with what Tennessee did to us, pressuring us defensively. But... We were taking really bad shots. We played a little too much hero ball where we were just trying to ISO and go one-on-one against an elite defensive team, team, a team that can really guard you one through five one-on-one and do it at at an elite level. And that's just not a recipe for success. You got to share the ball a little bit more. You got to be smart with what what you're doing. You can't be lazy with your passes. We were really lazy just passing the ball, like just really basic passes. We were very lazy and we turned, I think what, we turned the ball over 20 times in that game. So it's a combination of things where... We're playing some hero ball, taking bad shots, being lazy with our passes, not really thinking through things, being affected by the moment, by the environment, and kind of letting that get into our heads. And it was a recipe for an absolutely disastrous Wednesday in Knoxville. I mean, guys, we lost, I mean, almost 30 points, like Charlie said, 70 to 41. So not a good look, but also Tennessee's really good. I mean, that's a Final Four caliber team. Now, Rick Barnes has not ever had that kind of success in his career. He always seems kind of flame out in the NCAA tournament, but I mean, he has a hell of a team. It's a really good team. They they defend you lights out, and again, they they can go into some lulls offensively, but they have guys that can fill it up. You know, Zakai Ziegler coming off the bench is um, a guy that was really under-recruited, but is a really active point guard that can score off the dribble for them. He can also shoot a little bit. Uh, Santiago Vescovi, one of the better shooters in the SEC. He was originally a point guard. Now he works a lot off the ball, so he can come off screens, and he's a guy that's uh, a knockdown spot-up shooter, Got a couple talented freshmen, some vets like Josiah Jordan James and Olivia Okamwa. They 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 are a complete team, guys. I mean, they've got the young studs, they've got the vets, they got the shooters, they got the shot blockers. Everyone plays defense. They can switch a lot of things because they got a lot of versatility in that roster. It's a really good basketball team, and we're we're a good team. We're improving. We're we're getting close to being a good team. We're a solid team, but it's nowhere near a tournament team. We're on the road against a top five opponent. And that's kind of just where we are right now. Now we have to be more competitive than that, but I'm not going to be too upset about that loss considering who we're playing and where that game was played. Okay, but Mike White got his guys ready to bounce back at home Saturday night with an 81-78 overtime win over South Carolina, which ended a five-year losing streak to the Gamecocks. I did not watch that game, but I was following it on Twitter and I was like continuously refreshing. And I was like, wait, overtime? Oh, God, what's happening? You couldn't bring yourself to turn on? Couldn't watch it? So you're following on Twitter. Why, why were you watching it? I was with other people. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was like... So you don't clear your schedule for Georgia basketball no. Saturdays like you do Georgia I was, football? I was scrolling my phone under the table while I was at dinner. I'm proud of you for that, Charlie. Right. I'm proud of you. So how big was that win over the Gamecocks exactly? I mean, that was a pretty big win for us, Charlie. I mean, all things considered, again, this is not really a tournament caliber team. So this wasn't a, a game where we had to have it to make the NCAA tournament because I just don't think that's super realistic for this team. We had to go on some crazy run and pull off some big upsets against some really good NCAA tournament teams. And I just, I don't know if we can do that consistently enough right now to make the NCAA tournament a realistic goal for this season. But I think we can put together a season, like I said last week, where we can get to maybe eight or nine wins in conference play. And that is, I mean, guys, this was this a team that won one, one game in conference last year, won six games overall, and we were one in 17 in conference. So if we can get to somewhere close to 500 or at 500 this year in conference, that is a hell of a season for this program. That's going to set us on the right trajectory. That's the kind of thing that can help us build for the future, lay that foundation, which is what I was talking about last week. You got to lay that foundation to get people to buy in. And I'm talking about all sorts of stakeholders. I'm talking about the fans, get them invested. Guys, I mean, the students were lying about side Stegman on Saturday night, you know, a couple hours before the game. Like, that's huge. That's huge. And I've always said Stegman will rock. That place is rocking when we have a product that is worthy of that and I wish it wasn't that way because like Georgia football we know we know Sanford Stadium is always rocking no matter what right like we've been through the lean years it's always rocking but we don't have that kind of basketball culture I want us to build that and 
setting this foundation is a way to build towards that. Like, I, again, I've always felt like stag like with big games when we have a chance to make the NCAA tournament, especially on the weekends, like that place gets loud. And I, I try to be loud all the time, but you know, sometimes it's half empty during the week and here and, and you know whatnot. But when the fan base has even like the smallest little bit of something to grab onto, you get excited about that can be an intimidating environment. It really can. It can be a really, really, really good college basketball environment. And I think that's what this season's about is getting fans invested changing the perception of the program on the recruits among potential transfers trying to come into the program. That's what this season is about and getting to eight wins, nine wins, getting to 500 in conference and, and maybe pulling an upset here or there. That's what this season's about. And we've, we've done our job to this point. We just got to continue it in, throughout the rest of the season and being South Carolina, who is probably the second worst team in the league. I think Ole Miss, Ole Miss is definitely the worst. Ole Miss is freaking terrible. But South Carolina is right there. They're certainly in that conversation. So it's not super inspiring that you go to overtime at home to be the second worst team in the league, what I think is the second worst team in the league. But like Charlie said, let's go back, guys. The last time we beat South Carolina, 2016. It's been five years. And guys, we play South Carolina twice a year. They're one of our permanent rivals that we play twice every single year. And we have lost to them five years in a row. We've not beaten them in five years. That's tough, especially when you consider the issues that this South Carolina program has had. Yeah, I know, what was it four or five years ago they went to the Final Four? They had a, a very unexpected run to the Final Four, got hot in the NCAA tournament, and good for them, I guess. But they just fired a coach as well last season. Frank Martin, the guy that took them to that Final Four, he got let go. Like He's gone. Like He's out. So this program has fallen on hard times, and we still have not been able to beat them despite all of that. So for us to get that kind of monkey off our back, and guys, I hate South Carolina. Those of you who've been listening for a long time, you know that. Football, basketball, baseball, tennis, whatever, man. I hate South Carolina. I don't think they're on our level. I don't think they should beat us at anything, to be entirely honest. It's kind of like Georgia Tech. I don't think there's an excuse for losing to Georgia Tech at anything. And I kind of feel that way about South Carolina within the SEC. So it's certainly rubbed me the wrong way. So I was very excited to get this win and kind of keep what I think are our realistic goals this season on track. And also, guys, I mean, look at the schedule the next couple of weeks. Um, it's tough. Like wins gonna be hard to come by. We have to go to Auburn on Wednesday. We got at Texas A&M, who's one who's one of the best teams in the league. They're in the top half of the league, top three or four teams in the league. Then we get Ole Miss at home. That's a winnable game. Then we get Kentucky at home. So three of the next four games are likely losses. Now get LSU at home. I think that's a game we can win. LSU is falling off the face of the earth. Then we got to go to Alabama. So if you look at one, two, three, four, five, six, four of our next six games, it's highly unlikely that we're going to win those games. Like, we're going to have to pull an upset to win one of those games. Like if we get one of those games, that's gravy. And if that's the case, you have to beat teams like South Carolina to get to 500, to get to potentially eight wins, like close to 500. We have to win games like that. Like we lost one last Saturday to Vanderbilt, which is like, God, we played poorly in that game. Terry Roberts, our, our, our best player, got in foul trouble and we set him for about 12 minutes in the first half, which I think was a mistake. I love Mike White. I think that's a mistake. I know that's the, some coaches just believe in that. When guys get two fouls in the first half, you sit them for the rest of the half. I talked about, talked about that last week. I think that's crazy. I, I've never bought into that. It's not a Mike White thing. A lot of coaches do that. I, when I see that, it just makes me roll my eyes. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're just taking what could be a possibility that, that the guy could foul out. You can miss him for a chunk of time and guaranteeing that he misses that chunk of time by seeing him on the bench. Like that, that's what you're doing. I think it's crazy. I think it's crazy. But anyway, regardless, like we blew that game. We're better than Vanderbilt. We should have beaten Vanderbilt, especially at home. And we didn't. We lost that game by three. We made a comeback late, but fell short. And it looked like we were going to lose to South Carolina, but we were able to, to bounce back late and win that game in overtime. So no matter how it went down, I'm just glad we beat South Carolina and ended that streak because that streak had to end. Well, it certainly didn't look good for most of the night. We were down 10 with six minutes to go. What was the difference down the stretch? It really started on the defensive end. We got much more aggressive. We did a little bit of a full-court press, some half-court press stuff, and we're just getting really active on the defensive end and overplaying the ball at times, forcing some turnovers that we convert into easy buckets. And on the offensive end, we started attacking the basket more. And we, we got to the line, and we were able to convert the vast majority of those shots. And that's huge, guys. Like when, when it's late in the game like that, whether you had the lead, whether you're trying to make a comeback, you've got to knock your free throws down. That's so often is the difference between winning and losing these games, especially games that are pretty tight when it comes down to the wire like that, like this game was. So aggressive on defense, attacking the rim getting to the line and converting once we got there. And that really ended up being the difference down the stretch. But it really, I go back, it started with our defense. We got aggressive. I'm going to give Mike White some credit. 
He's basically said, screw it. Like, let's just try to turn these guys over. And they don't have a ton of great ball handlers. And we were able to force those turnovers, get some easy buckets, get some momentum, get the crowd back into it. And start attacking the basket, getting more aggressive on the offensive end. Led to some some easy buckets and also some trips to the line. We were able to convert there. And boom, next thing you know, tie game, going overtime. We take control and win the basketball game and end the streak. All right, so that's that's all we got for basketball talk. But Charlie, since you were kind enough to join us today, and I know that you are an avid Georgia tennis fan. We talked about it briefly at the outset of the show. I'm also a big avid Georgia tennis fan. I feel like you might be the biggest Georgia tennis fan in the history of Georgia tennis fans. So I wanted to give you a chance to, to talk a little Georgia tennis. If we're going to talk some Georgia basketball, I, I know basketball is a winter sport. Tennis is technically a spring sport, but it gets started a little bit early with the national indoors. So I, I wanted to give you the floor. What did you see? I know you were in attendance over the weekend uh, at the Demigill Tennis Complex watching the Georgia women's tennis team punched their ticket to Seattle. Is that right this season? Yes. To Seattle for the National Indoor Tournament. What'd you see? Yeah, I went to go watch the ladies. Um, I mean, it was just a nice day to be outside. It wasn't super cold. It's always free unless it's the NCAA tournament. So if you're ever in town or you live in town or you live nearby, bring your kids. It's just a great afternoon to people watch and watch some tennis. But I was... um, I was... Um, you're trying to be nice about this. Okay, let, let's start by saying I found some of the lineups interesting. Okay, I I in agree with, I agree with you. Uh, I want to start by saying, look, I am a ten. I I love tennis. I love college tennis. I'm still very much an amateur when it comes to tennis. I didn't grow up on tennis, so I am learning as I go. I've been watching it. I've been going to every Georgia tennis match for I don't know. It feels like a decade now, a long time. But I'm still learning. I, I didn't grow up on it, so I fully recognize understand that our coaches know significantly more about tennis than I do and they work out with these players all the time so I always feel like unqualified to question anything they do but I did feel like some of the lineups and doubles I know we're, I know you were trying to be really nice because you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but we're, we're interesting well I I thought Gigi or Giramia should be on court one for doubles Gigi for Grant, sure yes I she's was awesome. she's an awesome doubles player I was surprised to see Anya Hurdle not on court one for doubles because she's played court one for a few years. She played last year with, with and Morgan. then she played three years ago. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I was just surprised, but I, Anya's serve is just. I was sitting behind her court when she was playing doubles, and it's so powerful. And she looks like she's gotten in really good shape. Not that she's ever been in bad shape, but she had a health scare a couple of years ago and missed a large chunk of the year. And she looks like she's gotten herself in really good physical shape. So I was really happy for yeah, her. Yeah, everybody that. looked good. Everybody looked strong. Everybody had a lot of energy. Um, Dasha did not play doubles, which she usually played doubles. So Dasha, last year. Dasha Vidmanova, for people who aren't yes, familiar, she's Dasha Vidmanova. She's a sophomore. Yep. Um, Tall, athletic girl, great reach. Yep. Good the, serve. Just a strong ground game, strong everything. She's really, she got a little drop shot she pulled out a couple different times in that match, which she had, kind of added to her game. I didn't see her do that much last year. Yep. And then in singles, Leah Ma played court one. Dosh played court two. Mel played court three. That was interesting because in the fall, you saw Mel playing more. So I thought Mel was going to play one. Mel, no, at the end of last year, Mel played a lot more uh, on court one because Leah was out in the NCAA tournament, SEC tournament. So Mel didn't play much at all in the fall, did she? I think she did. Oh, I don't remember her playing this much fall, in the fall, or maybe okay. I'm remembering last fall. I don't know, yeah. but yeah, last year Mel was playing on one. Dosh and she was beat playing some, two. She beat some like legit girls at the end right. of the season, like some really big time players. So it was interesting to see Dasha on two and Mel on three. Um, but it's a you great know, problem to have because they're all really talented. It's early in the season, so all of this could change drastically. Who knows? They switch it up sometimes. Meg was down on court four. Being Meg, she lost the her doubles match, so she just killed the girl. Six zero, six three, and like she, yeah, she lost. She lost the first three games in the second set, and then went on to win. And six they were all three. Games. They were all three in tiebreak. Or, or they all three went to deuce, and then she won six straight games. So she just that's what Meg does. Meg just her dominates. opponent Meg's should be a, glad it wasn't six zero, six zero. Meg is incredible. That's just what Meg does. She, I think she's on year seventeen. I think at this point, UGA. Yeah. Can she? Can she come back for eighteen, please? Forever. I don't want Meg to ever leave. Future athletic director for sure. Um, but yeah, it was a great day to watch some tennis. Yeah. Do you feel like this team is? I know it's one match. Do you feel like this team is a potential national championship contender if they continue to to, to develop and and grow as a team? Absolutely. Yeah, I think this. I mean. I don't know if we have the, the one Katarina Jokic still on court one because she was just a killer on court one, cardiac cat. But like, 
in terms of overall depth in this team, I think we're about as deep as we've ever at least been since I've been a, a big fan. I know the guys had a had a nice win yesterday against LSU. I did not get a chance to go to that one. I wanted to make it out there, but the weather, I thought it might rain, so I didn't go out there because we're having to play outdoors right now, even though it's the indoor term because our indoor facility doesn't exist because we had to tear it down because we're building a, a nice, shiny, brand new one that's going to be the envy of, of all of college tennis. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully, it'll be ready for next year. Um, but it looks like, as of right now, we are about to beat Louisville to punch our men's ticket to Chicago for the men's side of the National Indoor Tournament. So, great weekend all around for Georgia sports, uh, for Georgia tennis, Georgia basketball. Great stuff going on. So, I know we're all football fans, guys. Of course we are. We know that's number one in all, in all of our hearts. But it doesn't mean we don't have some other great things going on in some of the other sports and some other uh, athletes who are deserving of our attention. And, you know, while we have the offseason here and we, we have a chance to maybe focus a little bit more on some of those sports. We want to give you a quick little roundup of some of the things going on in some of those other sports. But all right, guys, that's all we've got for you today. I, I know we we had, what, six or seven mailbag questions to get to today. I know we had a few more. We're trying to save some of those for next because they weren't like as pressing in terms of like topical stuff that's happening right now, like breaking news kind of stuff. So if you've got any questions, always feel free, guys. Any time of the year, I don't care. Whatever's on your mind, please, we encourage you. Send those to us. You can hit us up on Twitter. That's at Glory underscore UJ. And follow us there if you are not. Uh, we're going to try to, we're, I always say this, but I'm, I'm really going to make a concerted effort to be like, more active on social media starting this off season i know that i need to do better at that um it's just one of those things that kind of always slips through the cracks for me it's not a high prior as high of a priority because i you know this is i do have a full-time job outside of this and recording the episodes planning the episodes getting the episodes uploaded edited all that kind of stuff that takes the majority of my time doing all this uh, and then watching sports watching basketball watching football as much as i can and i and i certainly i mean i pay attention to what's going on social media of course i do but um it's hard for me to like you know get deep into it as much as i want to but i'm gonna try to do better at that i'm gonna try to organize my time a little bit better and manage it a little better and uh and make that happen because i i know i want i want to talk to you guys i want to hear what you guys have to say and i'm gonna do better on that so again at glory underscore uga you can also find us on instagram it's glory UGA podcast and if uh, if email works better for you if you're not in the social media thing which trust me I totally get it can get crazy on there at times you can email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com but thanks again guys for being with us today I will be back on Thursday with a full recap of not just the, the late signing period with uh, whether or not we get Deuce Robinson. We'll see what happens there. If he actually commits, we don't know. We'll find out. We'll talk about that, but we'll also talk bigger picture recruiting stuff. We did that a little bit in December with the early signing period, but that was also kind of right smack dab in the middle of our peach ball preparation and coverage. So we really want to make sure we dial in on this recruiting class and give it its proper due and proper coverage as well. So we'll have that for you guys on Thursday. If you have any questions about signing day, anything recruiting, hit us up. Maybe I'll try to get to as many of those as I can on Thursday's episode. But thanks for being here again, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.